Well, we are uh, glad that you are with us today. If you're joining us here in uh, the service or whether it's online, we are continuing our series called Wannabe. And this series has invariably led me to, to think about one location where I see wannabes all the time, and that is when I'm doing a wedding. You ever, I, you ever know anything about pastors? We're actually like secret like people who know all kinds of stuff about weddings because we're do so many of them. I can run a wedding rehearsal. I can tell you exactly where you need to stand. It gets to the point you can start picking out the details and like that dress is a little uh, like 1990s and that one's a little, it's like, it gets really bad because you're, you're doing so many of them. But it, for me, I can remember um, invariably there's this moment, this, the tensest moment just before the bride shows up. You, and I'm, I always like to watch the groom. You ever watch the groom or, or are you too busy looking in the back? But the groom is just like, he's tense. He tenses up. It's the same look every time. They kind of get like this and then they kind of look off in the distance like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And they're like either prepping to cry or prepping to not cry. Something's going on there. But eventually she comes out. He gets emotional. The crowd gets emotional. And they come down. They do the whole thing. And then they stand before me. And I walk them through these vows. And these vows are like to you and to love and to cherish and sickness and health and good times and bad when you're ugly and you're cool and, and you're not, you know, in every possible horrible and good scenario you can think of, you're trying to get them to, to vow to each other, we will be with you. I can remember um, years ago, I had this one couple that came and they were part of our, doing premarital with my wife and I, and we were trying to walk them through kind of the conversations. Like they were, they'd been dating for a while and they're just like, oh, and we're like, there, there's this issue. You're going to struggle with this. Like, oh, we already dealt with that. Our love is just, we just love each other so much. We already dealt with that one. Oh, we will never have that problem. Our love is so good. And we're just like, okay, but there's this one over here. Oh no, no. We had, and just like everything was, their love was so big and they were so going to, going to do this and, and be faithful. And the next thing you know, they do the whole, the whole wedding and, and they go and they leave. Two weeks later, we get a phone call from her. She's like, he won't come home. We don't know where he went. He's, and I, so I call him up and he answers. I'm like, where are you? He's like, I made a mistake. I should have never gotten married. I'm not old enough. This just isn't right for me. And I, I had to belittle him. They've got a great marriage now. So it's, it's kind of just a humorous situation. But <clears throat> honestly, we can get ourselves in a in a scenario where, and the front, we are wannabes, man. We want to love and be faithful. We want to be the kind of people who stand firm in every situation, through thick and thin, through all the riches and everything else. But we know the statistics, right? About 50% of marriages, um, you know, at least in the past, failed. And nowadays, people don't even choose to get married. They're just like, oh, I'm just not even going to test that out. And yet, we can be in the same way, whether it's in a marriage or, or what. The, we can struggle with faithfulness at times. And we can struggle with following through on our, our commitments to be kind to each other. And let's be honest, the home is probably one of the most unkind locations we, we can be at. Isn't that true? We cut each other down. We can yell and we can be mean to each other. And, and because we're exhausted or whatever, we find that kindness and goodness is not necessarily always found at home. And, and a lot of this kind of builds those foundations of discord. But we're not here to talk about just how messed up we are. I want to talk about where we're going. You see, we know that we want to be like Christ or be a different person. Some of you who may not be Christ followers here today, I, want to, I really think that as you look at this list of attributes to describe Jesus, you're going to see them as, yeah, those are good. Those are the kind of people, that's the kind of person I would want to be like. And so just take it in that terminology. But for us as Christians, we are here to be like Christ. And we know there's a gap between who we are and who we want to be. And we've been looking at that gap and how to, how to seal that gap, whether it's in our marriages, whether it's in our businesses, whether it's just on the freeway, whether it's wherever we 
are, we want to see that gap close. And so we've been saying it this way. We want to follow the lead of the one that we want to be like because Really, it comes from the book of Galatians, and if you want to go there with me, open your Bibles up to Galatians. We're going to look at chapter 5. It will be in 16 and some verses throughout this. And we're going to examine this thought, again, of following the lead of the Spirit. Notice how the Apostle Paul, who planted this church, these churches in Galatia, said this. He said, I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And so there were these two pitfalls we started with on week one. First pitfall was that we would be these people who just go after ourselves, right? We just, we're going to be the best me I can be. And if I'm going to be the best me I can be by knowing myself, what I'm going to wind up with that text tells us is a bunch of garbage. We're just going to wind up, you know, digging a trench of our, digging our own grave and making a mess because we're selfish. We're, we're self-centered. We make bad choices that we have good intentions. We just sin. It's just what we're, what we're in, in a problem with. And so that can lead us to a second problem, which is, hey, I don't want to be like that. So I'm going to create a bunch of rules. I'm going to be good. I'm going to do good. I'm going to look good. I'm going to try to make the make myself work in this goodness so I can be right with God through my actions. Lots of people fall into both of these locations. God just loves me. It doesn't matter who I am or, you know, I'm going to do all the good so God loves me. But neither of these work. And he says the way forward, this third way, is by this following the lead of this one called the Spirit. No, he says walk by the Spirit or be led by the Spirit and you won't fall into these pits. Now, the Spirit is, is God in your life. And we, we talked about the fact that Jesus Christ on the cross, he was given by God and Jesus came to earth, God in the flesh, to do everything that we need in the law. Everything that was required of us would be done. And that all the mess that we've made could be forgiven and cleaned up by him taking it on himself on the cross. And now what Jesus does is he cleans up the mess that's between us and God, the relational mess, so that we can be with him, And then he moves into our life by the Spirit. God himself dwells in you. He himself dwells in all of us who have received what Jesus has done. And so now there's this relationship and we can walk in it. And as we walk in that relationship, as we live out that relationship, as we follow the lead of Jesus, the one we want to be like, he'll produce in us a, very, a varied set of attributes that we've been looking at. They're right here if you want to look down at verse 22. And 23, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And the point here is that who doesn't want to be these things? Who doesn't want to be more loving? Who doesn't want to be more joyful? And we, we talked about these last week, that these are the actual attributes of God. These are the attributes of Christ in us. The Spirit is bringing them out. He produces them through our relationship. It's not by works and laws and rules, and it's not just being yourself. No, he, he makes them in you as you relate to him, as you follow his lead. Now, <laughs> last week we looked at love and joy. This week we are going to look at kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. And right there all the type A's in the room are going, no, 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 no. We're supposed to do peace. That's next on the list. You can't, you can't move forward. Now, the reason I'm doing that to you is because um, I want you to have no peace for the next few weeks. And so that you'll really want that one. And, and, and then also to remind you, have some patience, okay? This is a good test. We're just going to skip. Actually, we did a study called the Spiritual Life Survey back in February. And we kind of went through a lot of these attributes. And so what we did is we 
we indicated which ones our church really struggles with, and I put those at the end of the series so that we could really kind of have some tension and look forward to the end instead of like, okay, dealt with that. I don't need to listen to the rest. And so we'll hit, we'll hit some of these others in a different order, but right now we're going to focus in on kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. And I want to begin with the first two, kindness and goodness. Um, for We want to follow the Spirit, and what He will do is produce true kindness and true goodness in us. And I say true kindness and true goodness because, to be quite honest, I, our, our culture is confused about these terms as well. We're, we're not much for definitions anymore as a culture, but these are the places it's really important. You know, kindness is something that our entire world believes we should be. Isn't that true? Everybody thinks, man, we, we got to be kind to each other. I hear about kindness all the time. It's either called tolerance or it's called being nice or, you know, there's the bumper stickers out there, right, that say mean people suck. You ever seen that one? Right? And I always see that bumper sticker and I think, that's so mean. <laughs> but we are so ready for kindness. And yet we are so uncivil and unkind on internet on the internet. We're so uncivil and unkind some in our homes. We are so uncivil and unkind on the freeways and in so many different places in our workplaces. And so we know we need to be kind, but what is it? What is this kindness? And here's what's wicked about our hearts. Kindness is not what we think it is. Kindness is not the sentimentality. Oftentimes we mix up sentimentality with love or sentimentality with kindness. And sentimentality is really the, the, this kind of thinking. I want you to feel good so that I feel good about how you feel. Sentimentality is all bent at the self. And many of us are walking around being kind, not because you're just wanting to be kind to a person who's a human being. You're being kind because you're worried if you're not, what will they think of you? You ever done that? I'm going, to be, I'm, going to, I'm going to be nice to you because I really want you to like me. I hope they like me. This is junior high stuff. I mean, all the junior highs in the room hear me. This is, this is what we do. You want to be, you, you think the world revolves around you. And so when you see you, you think everybody sees you. No, you're all focused on yourselves. Nobody's focused on you. And so we be kind to others because I want them to be nice to me. I, I hope they like me. Now, when you don't deal with that, you grow up and you become a people pleaser. Any, any recovering people pleasers in the room? I am one of those, just so you know. People pleasing is, the rest of you are all jerks, right? That's just how we're saying. No, I'm just kidding. No, people pleasing is a dangerous thing because it leads to codependency. It leads to enabling of other people. And we think we're being kind, but what actually we're doing is we are being cruel by allowing people to harm themselves. And kindness is something we've mixed up with just letting people go and do their thing and just slapping them on the back going, yay, here's a trophy. That's just not how it works. Kindness must be connected to the good, but we don't know what the good is either. Good is one of those odd things. I had a conversation with a friend of mine, and we were talking about euthanasia. We were talking about the issue of people being able to kill themselves, and I'm like, no, you just can't do that. Euthanasia is out of the question for the Christian. And he's like, well, come on. You, you, it's your life. You're in the suffering. You're going to die anyway. What's the big... I'm like, no, you don't have that decision. Like, well, what decisions do we have, he asked. And I said, we have the right to choose the good. And the problem in our world today is we don't argue about the good anymore. We argue about the good for me, which is not the good. The good exists whether you exist or not. The good is what's right whether we're here or we're not here. The good is found in God. But when you, don't, when you have a sentimental God who just forgives you for the forgiveness sake and just wants you to be happy and doesn't care what you do and doesn't need his son to die on a cross to bear your sin, you have, sentimental, you have a sentimental God and you don't care about the good. The good God 
cares about what's right and what's true and what is to be done to everyone. And when our confusion comes, we begin to call evil things good and good things evil because they're good to me. I like them. Therefore, that's the good. And that's the confusion of our culture. And when it comes to kindness and goodness, actually, biblically, they're one thing. They're not two. We're put them in two words, but they're always bound together. When you find these two words in the Greek, they're, they're locked next to each other. Kindness and goodness. And the reason why they're together is because they're, they're bearing the same idea in a different way. So let me give you an example of how this works. Many of us know people who have been kind. Like I had a young man who I discipled and cared for. He, I, I love this guy. I still, if I saw him today, I would still treat him well because I care about him. And he, he was raised in a home where he had very legalistic mother, very legalistic mother. And one day he came out and declared that he was gay. We sat and we talked and I tried to care for him, and, but I, and I told him, look, I, I love you, but I disagree with your assessment. I disagree with what you're, what you're doing. But his mother was in a different tack. She, she basically said, no, I'm going to follow my son. She turned her back first on adjusting her faith. Then she abandoned the faith altogether. Then she abandoned her marriage because he wouldn't abandon the faith in order to follow her son and ran off with him to be kind. Sometimes we can be kind and abandon goodness. I can be kind to my kids and feed them fruit snacks and yummy Cheerios and, or fru fruity Cheerios, all that stuff, and let them go play on a freeway because they really, really want to, and I'm such a mean dad if you don't let me. Yeah, but I'm not being mean. I'm being kind because I'm being good. I want you to be healthy. I want you to not hurt yourself. I'll, sometimes kindness and always kindness and goodness go together, but sometimes kindness divorces itself from goodness, and so we make decisions to be kind and abandon the good. Now we still, that's not to say we don't love people in the LGBT community. I'm actually saying that's exactly what we should be doing is caring for them and loving them. But you don't abandon the good. Now the good, however, isn't presented like so many, sadly, so many evangelical Christians have in the world of just this staunch attitude of, we're right, you're wrong, you're all evil and you're all going to hell. Ah! We know it's good. Look, you can stand for the good and become a jerk. And you're not kind. And the danger is we wind up divorcing kindness and goodness and nowhere in the text will you find kindness and goodness divorced. They go together. Kindness and goodness are one fruit. They are bound together. In fact, one of the best places I can show you this is when God has described himself in Psalm 119. He says, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. And we go like, That's, that doesn't say anything. That's not saying God's kind. Actually, here's what's interesting. This is a Hebrew word for good. It's repeated twice here. When the Hebrews sat down to translate this into the Greek language, because Greek had become the language of all the Jewish people in the world of, of Rome, they, they sat down and they translated these two words. And the word they chose is the very word that you and I translate right here as kindness. You, in fact, could translate this, you are kind and you do kind things. That God's kindness and goodness are so infused together, they are the same term. They're interchangeable concepts. And so the Spirit of God who dwells in you to bring about goodness and kindness is trying to bring about this kind of goodness, this kind of kindness. Well, what does that look like? What kind of goodness or kindness is this? Well, God's goodness and kindness is a goodness and kindness that extends to everyone. It extends all the way out 
to even enemies. Notice we've looked at this last week. Let's look a little bit deeper. Jesus is speaking here and he says, love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons or, or children of the most high. Why would you be children of the most high if you're going to lend and do good and, and love your enemies? He says, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. God is kind to everyone, whether they're grateful for it, whether they're good or not. And this is technically called God's common grace. And common grace is the fact that he gives gifts to every human being. The, the fact that the physics of the universe haven't fallen apart, the fact that the sun rose this morning, that you have a breath in your lungs, that you have a heartbeat in your heart, that you are able and capable this morning, getting in a car and coming here, you've been given immense amount of graces that are given to you whether you're Christian or not. See here, when we get to the ungrateful and the evil, I'm actually not viewing that as some person outside the church. I'm viewing that as myself. I'm the ungrateful one. And I woke up this morning and I didn't say thank you for the fact that I got to take a breath. I didn't really get a ch I didn't say thank you because I woke up in a nice bedroom with four kids and my wife is still alive and I've got a family. I didn't wake up this morning grateful that I got a church that I love and people I love to get to get to hang out with. I didn't that I'm going to get to sing worship and worship. I got, no, there's so much I was ungrateful for. And by the way, yeah, I am a completely evil-minded person. And I think any Christian who examines their heart knows that we all struggle with ungratefulness. We all struggle with evil. Now, that's the very equation of being a wannabe and that God has to be the one that cleans this up. But when we look at God's grace, he overlooked my ungratefulness. He overlooked my evil and he loved me anyway. He gave me any, his love anyway. How far does his grace, his kindness extend? It extends to everyone. Why? For what purpose? Because he wants to wake people up to his love. Paul writes in the book of Romans, as he's writing to the Romans, do you not presume, the, on, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? I mean, we've been taught, you, you declare the law, you smash people, you tell them they're going to hell, fire and brimstone, baby, you know, that kind of thing, and people are going to repent. No, 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 no. Jesus and God used his kindness, his pouring out of the rain, his giving of food, his declaration of love that they would see and hear and be transformed. Yes, there's sin and yes, there's hell and yes, we warn about it. But it's the kindness that leads people to repentance. If all you declare is the good and you miss the kindness, you miss the heartbeat of God. He wants no one. He doesn't, he doesn't rejoice over the death of anyone, not even the wicked. And here is God as his kindness is poured out. To who? To his very enemies. It says, for if we were enemies, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. It's not after we stopped being enemies. No, while I was an enemy of God, while I was ignoring him, while I was ungrateful to him, while I was telling him to get lost, while I was doing my own thing, sinning my own way, while I was trusting my own good works and my going to church and making sure I was worshiping and I'm a good person, good Christian. doesn't matter. While I was his enemy, trusting everything but him, he reconciled me to him by giving his son. I have three sons. And I'm still not willing to give any of them for any of you. <laughs> Sorry. Guess got to work on that. No, but God loves 
My kids are alone. My son's in the room. He's like, <laughs> But God's willing to give his son. Jesus was willing to bear our sins, though we were his enemies. He loves you that much. Jesus loves you so incredibly much. He was willing to bear your sins to forgive you. He was willing to bear your brunt of the punishment to love you. He was willing to do all the things necessary to be right with his father so we could have his goodness, his righteousness, his right relationship with God. And so this is his kindness, despite our actions and attitudes, that he wants to flow from us. And that's why we, we can't depend upon ourselves, we can't depend upon rules. It needs to come from this relationship with God as his spirit who is good and does good dwells in you to bring about the good. Now, same thing then comes with faithfulness. For we, we need to follow the Spirit to become truly faithful. If, if you did your assessment in the small groups, um, you've got a chance to kind of go through an assessment uh, couple, uh, last week and kind of label out kind of which of this, these fruits that you really think you, you have the biggest gap of wanting to be like. For me, one of the top ones is indeed this one right here, faithfulness. I, I, it is one of those things in my life that I really wrestle with. And right now, everybody's in the room going like, oh, that makes me really nervous. The pastor struggles with faithfulness. This, 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 is not, this is not how you're talking about weddings and what's going on here. It's like, well, I mean, if you have ADD, you probably struggle with faithfulness too, okay? So it's just one of those things. Yeah, I'll do that. Squirrel. <laughs> if you're flaky, that's just another name for unfaithful, okay? That's just how that works. Now, but on a side note, I want to step back. I don't think I'm alone in the room when it comes to faithfulness. In fact, Solomon, 3,000 years ago, seemed to indicate there's the same problem we have today. He writes as a proverb, many men proclaim his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find? Faithful people are rare, rare indeed. It used to be, my word is my bond, right? That used to be kind of the statement, an idea of faithfulness. If I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. There are there are people who are like that, but they are a rare breed. And in a world of unfaithfulness, let's be honest, this is a world of unfaithfulness. If I can figure I've got a business thing and I made this deal, I'm going to figure a way out of that if it's not good for me. That's why I always got my lawyer on retainer. You know, this isn't really working hot, so I'm going to figure my way through my marriage to get out of this wiggle. I'll figure out the... We got all kinds of ways to break our faithfulness, to make ourselves feel like we're still faithful. But faithfulness is something that though we wrestle with and we are confused about, it is a rare thing indeed. And let me just let you know, you know that guy at work that you're really frustrated with, you keep giving him something to do and it never quite gets done the way you need it done or on time? You, ever, you got that guy I'm talking about? Yeah, that's all, that's all unfaithful as well. See, another proverb says, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Laziness is a form of unfaithfulness. And laziness is something that shows up so often in our culture, as we'll talk about later. But what, what we're seeing here is that this is why you get frustrated with a, with a lazy person, right? It's like smoke in the eyes. Anybody, that person, at the, you go to the beach and you're sitting around a fire pit or something, and you're that guy. The smoke seems to follow you. Yeah, that's me, right? I'm sitting there. It's like, I'm like, I'm moving. What is going on? And it literally follows you around. And it, why does it bug you so much? Because it burns your eyes like smoke to the eyes. That's what it feels like to give something to a sluggard. Clean your room. Yeah, yeah, Dad. Let me finish this level first. Ah! 20 minutes later. Did you get that? Uh, yeah. No. I forgot. 
Anybody got that person in your house? You're like, that's my husband. No, just kidding. The, uh, it's annoying. Unfaithfulness is replete in our business world. It's replete with students. It's everywhere because unfaithfulness is a human problem. But God is not faithful. By the way, you know how I know unfaithfulness is a human problem? Because our paramount position of faithfulness is given to Amazon. Right? That's why we buy stuff from Amazon. We're like, they always come through, man. They deliver, boom, it's here. I got prime. I mean, they got warehouses everywhere so they can be faithful. That's how high they put it on their target list. Because the second they're not going to deliver on time, we're like, I'm going to go to the other guy who is. But God is far more faithful than Amazon. God will always deliver exactly when he needs to deliver. He will always deliver exactly as he says he will deliver. In fact, when it comes to God and faithfulness, God was willing to actually proclaim that faithfulness is part of his name. It's in this very interesting story in the middle of the book of Exodus as Moses has just dealt with all these guys and he looks at God and he's like, God, I just want to see your glory. He's overwhelmed with God. He wants to see God's glory. And God goes, okay, okay, come here. Put you in a cleft. I'm not going to show you my glory because it would just like destroy you completely. So I'm going to pass by you. You'll just see my glory passing by. It's like the past of my glory. And so God puts him in this cleft of the rock and he passes by. And as he does so, it says he declares his name. He says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And then it goes on to say, he's blessed the gener- thousand generations and will curse those who curse him and all this. And he says, look, I'm going to land on this one. I'm abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He abounds in being faithful to us and to his word. And we're talking about the God who, who knows how many millennia ago, leaned over to two people, the first humans, and said, if you eat of that tree, you're going to die. and You're going to put death on this earth. And he hasn't given up on that promise since. He holds to his word so much so that he would say, hey, guys, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he would change his mind. God is faithful. And here's what I want to tell you. Some of you are struggling with whether or not you're saved. Some of you are in that age-old question, do I, do I, am I really going to go to heaven? You know, I, I trust Jesus, but I don't know because you sinned recently. And you feel so unfaithful to your vow to God that I'm going to live for you. You know, I'm going to trust you and... You're out there and you're saying something you wish you'd never said. You're doing something you wish you'd never done. You're walking in here this week and you got guilt all over you and you're going, God, am I even saved? Can I just tell you something? It's not your faith that saves you. It's God's faithfulness that saves you. When you have trust, you're not having trust in your trust. You're having trust in God's faithfulness. You see, he's the one who declared that his son Jesus died for your sins. He's the one who declared that he has forgiven you and that one day he's going to return and he's going to welcome you in. And he is telling you the truth and he doesn't lie and he doesn't back off and his faithfulness is his name. And so when you struggle in those moments, remember it's not about your trust and your fickle faithfulness. It's about his faithfulness to you. Lean on his willingness to follow through on what he's promised. That is the bedrock of being able to have faith, trusting God's faithfulness. And he is faithful. 
He's faithful to his promises. He's faithful to his word. He will stand firm. And that very faithful God dwells in you. The very one whose name is abounding in faithfulness dwells in you by his spirit. And his spirit is there to lead you to be truly faithful. I like to put it this way, to be dependable, believable, and trustworthy. You take the word faith. It's not an empty shell that we fill up with magic power and then, yeah, no, I have faith and I can call upon God to do things. No, faith is trust, belief, or dependency. That's another way to translate that word. And when we talk about that, are you a dependable person? Or are you somebody who struggles with laziness or, or going, back on your, going back on what you've been called to do? You say, yeah, I'm going to do that. And then something better comes along. You're like, no, I'm not. I'm going to go do this. You're not dependable. You're unfaithful. And God wants to make you faithful to where when you say, I'm going to be there, you'll be there. And if you can't be there for a very good reason, you tell them far ahead of time so they can make sure their times are changed, their plans are changed. Or are, are we believable? Do we speak truth? Or are we liars? Or are we just kind of like, you know, half-truth tellers? We only tell just enough to get by because I don't really want to tell you the rest of what happened. Are we trustworthy? Or are we deceitful? We got a lot of stuff happening back here, but we sure put a good front on our Instagrams look great, but life is falling apart. Can you really trust somebody like that? Can we really trust somebody who doesn't stand firm in what they say? And all of this is going to be changed because we are lazy liars and very deceitful. And we all have that struggle, but the Spirit of God dwells in you to lead you away from that, to transform you and enable you to grow in that. And so he will. The Spirit of God will begin to, we want to begin to grow by taking that next step. That's what we've been saying. How do you do this? How do I go from where I'm at to where I want to be? You would follow the Spirit and you take that next step. And then you take that next step after the Spirit. And he's going to lead you. But here's the thing. I want you guys to, to hear this and, and you, need to, you need to follow me where I'm going here for a second. So I, I don't know what nation it was, but it's out in Europe. They, they just had this happen recently. They were setting up to get the world record for dominoes. Anybody hear about this? They laid out, they'd been working out for three months laying out all these dominoes. And in the middle of their laying them out, they're all super careful. A fly came and landed halfway through it, knocking the dominoes. 15 minutes later, it finally stopped. They didn't get the world record for the longest train, but I think they got the world record for the longest train ever started by an insect. <laughs> you ever feel like your life is like those dominoes? You wake up in the morning and it's... You're like, wake up, eat, get in the car, get to work, do the meeting, do the next meeting, get that guy, do that thing, move that thing, get in the car, go home, eat, and you get a thing, 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 sleep. Wake up, think, 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 nap, think, 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 you know. Anybody there with me? Doesn't that feel like life? Do you know why you can't hear from the spirit for his next step? Because you're caught up in think, 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 think. You need to stop and pause. There are moments in our lives where we need to go, think, 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 pause. Because you are a human being and you have control over your ability and the things that you do. And when you pause and you talk to the Spirit of God and you ask God, God, what do you want me to do? Pause and then do what is considered a spiritual discipline that's been lost in a lot of evangelical churches, which is listen. Because God answers and he speaks. 
He'll speak by his word. He will speak through people. He will speak in your mind, but he will always line up with the word of God. That's why you need your mind to be contoured by the very scriptures. And you'll be able to think these things so that you know the voice of God. You know the will of God. When you stop and you go, God, what is it that you're asking me to do here? How can I please you today? I'm going to get out of the think, 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 think mode and I need to listen. And when he speaks, act. But you have to pause. You have to listen, and he'll lead you. And he may lead you into kindness and goodness. He may lead you into being generous with your time, with your talent, with your treasure. You want to, be, you want to see kindness and goodness grow. Be generous with your money. Be generous with your time. Be generous with yourself. If you've got a talent, use it to help somebody. You've got an ability, pray for somebody. Take that time and actually pray over them. Take a step out. Kindness is about being generous to others regardless they pay you back. Notice what they said about God. He's the one who lends without expecting anything in return. You want to be kind to somebody, give them a smile. People don't smile when they're going through think, 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 because they're serious. They're like, I got to get through the next thing, next thing. And so we end up with faces like mine, super serious all the time. No, smile, have some fun, you know, light up when you see somebody. Give them a compliment. Pray for them. Maybe the Spirit of God's going to lead you to meet a need. Maybe it's a need in your small group or it's a need in your neighbor. It's like they're going to be gone. Can you mow my lawn? Can you watch my house? Can you make sure it doesn't burn down when the fires are in the hills? Something like that. But you're willing to be somebody who is ready to care, ready to meet the need, and he can lead you in these things. He can take you a step forward in faithfulness. And one of those steps, I guarantee you, is going to be to combat busyness. You know what busyness does to our ability to grow the fruit of the Spirit? It kills it. It strangles it out because Jesus himself is the one. What did he say? It's the weeds in the fruit, which are the worries and the cares of life that strangle out the fruit. And what he was trying to tell us is that if you get too busy and too worried about where you got to go and how you got to get them there and when you do it and how much stuff, you are in a position to not be able to pause and listen to God speak. You need to combat busyness if you're going to be faithful because we don't have enough room to say no to the expedient in order to say yes to the good. Too many of us are involved in things that we're just doing it because we always do it and this is how we do it and what we need to do and we got to do it. And so you're at the field, but you know you, you're at the field and you want to connect with that parent, but even though that small connection for that small short time at that field is not going to birth to anybody coming to your house or caring about them because you've got no time for somebody to come to your house. You have no time to expand your relationships at your employment because you got too many things. No, we need to take our calendars. We need to sit down with God after we pause and say, God, this is your time, not my time. Show me how you want me to use this time and kill whatever doesn't need to be in here. Because I want to be able to say yes to your prompting when you lead me to it. But in an overly busy world, you won't be able to say yes when you should. And you'll be paused. You see, because... What he's going to call you to in faithfulness, what he's going to call you to in kindness and goodness are little things. They're tiny things, not even big assuming things. Because, and one of those is that busyness. Guys, when you're busy, guess what? You can't be nice. Isn't that true? You're at home. It's been meeting. It's been think, 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 think. And some of that thing is called freeway traffic. And then you get out and the kids are like, Daddy! And you're like, I don't need this right now. I need to go defrag. Screen. Daddy, will you talk to us? No. Leave me alone. It's my time. 
Daddy's being mean, Mommy. He said he would play yesterday, and he won't do it. Now you're unfaithful, mean, and not good. There's just a whole mess there. Because we're tired, and we're busy, and I need this. Uh... See how busyness just destroys stuff? If you want the gap, you want the time to pause, combat busyness so that your yes can be yes, and your no can be no, and take that pause. I think the best time I've ever seen this pause occur was in my son, Nathaniel. We were in his room, it was about a week ago or so, and he had uh, promised his little brother he could sleep in his room, and then just, I think, out of just busyness and frustration for the day, being tired, he's like, no, you can't. And he just, and so he's, no, off goes Andrew crying. And he'd sit in the room, we're just talking, and I didn't, you know, want to throw it on him or anything, but we're just talking about listening to the Spirit of God. And I said, well, that's why you read the Word. This is why you understand what it is. You, you, read, you read the Bible the other day, and you told me there was this awesome verse that jumped out. You felt like God was speaking. He's like, oh, yeah, it was let your yes be yes and your no be no. And I'm like, well, what do you think God's telling you right now? And he goes, gets big-eyed. He's like, Whoa, that I should let Andrew stay in my room tonight. I'm like, yeah, sounds like it. How, why don't you act on it? And he did. And what was great is Andrew comes bebopping in the room, all excited. Yahoo! Jumps onto his, uh, onto his he's got a futon. And, and my son, I saw him just smile because he knew it was right and good. And a bit of his character was shaped that day. That's what it means to pause, and listen, and act. To take the next step. And some of these steps may be to tell the truth so you can be faithful, even when it hurts. To stick to that business plan, to be faithful, even when it seems hard. To use your gift and meet a need, even when it may cost you something. All these things, but don't stop. Don't stop. Keep going. Because those who are faithful in a little is also faithful in much. If you can be faithful in the little thing, God will give you more. Some of you are stuck in your spiritual life because you're standing there looking at the next step that you should be faithful in and you just won't take it. And so God is saying that you're not going to be kind in the little things so your kindness can't grow. You can't be faithful in the little things so he's not going to give you more to be faithful over. And it's time to be faithful in that little thing and take that step forward and keep going. Don't stop. Do it again and again. Keep it moving. Galatians 6.9 puts it this way. Let us not go re grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. It's wearying. It is exhausting to do good. Don't get me wrong. When, I'm at, when we follow the Spirit, you're fighting your flesh. You're trying to avoid doing all the rules and all this, but you've, but you've got to take that next step. And it can be tiring as you step and then you take the next step. But don't stop. Eventually, you're going to, in the right season, reap. You're going to gain back. When I was doing this last night in the service, there was this sense that one guy came up and he's like, hey, when you do that, you look like a little kid who's, who's like learning how to walk. I'm like, thanks a lot. That's insulting. But his, no, his point was that, listen, it, 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 we don't yell at our kids when they stumble and fall. We help them back up. And they, so they can take that next step. And eventually, we're all tootling around here because we took enough steps that we're all pretty good at walking. And what I want you to do is not give up because it's hard, not give up because you may stumble, not give up because you, you can't succeed perfectly. No, God is there. His power is with you to help you move forward, enable you to grow and continue forward in being faithful, to move forward in kindness and goodness. And when that happens, if you don't give up, in time you will reap. 
The world will reap the benefits. You see, if we look back in time and several millennia ago, at the early Christians, they were no different than you and me. Wrestling in a world that didn't believe in their gospel, that had a whole different system and setup, and so that when a disease had drawn into the Roman Empire and a plague began, the Romans and the Greeks would run from the towns. They would haul up away from the cities so that they wouldn't get sick. But it was the Christians that would run to the towns. They would open up their homes. They would lay the sick on their own beds. They would begin to give them water and wipe their wounds and and help them out wherever they could, cleaning them and doing the necessities so that they could possibly be healed and make it through. And they would pray. Even most of them coming down with the plague themselves so they could care for people. Well, eventually that small step of caring for people turned into people opening up their homes for the sick in the normal times. And a special group of these people began to learn how to care for people even better. And it became this word called nursing. And nurses were born into the world through the simple kindness of Christians. And through the goodness of learning of God's good creation and all that he had put in because God's faithful with his laws, faithful with how he's made us, they began to examine the human body and understand how it worked and see the systems and see how to help things and doctors were born. And eventually these homes that they would put people into became known as hospitals. And hospitals were derived from the word hospitality because they were hospitable to the sick. This was no invention but a Christian invention from kindness and goodness strapped to faithfulness. Same thing is true as one small city in the middle of France started realizing children couldn't read and they wanted them to know the catechism so they could know God. So instead of schooling only the rich kids, they schooled every child, male and female, at a very young age to read and to write and to learn their one, twos, and threes and then to learn logic. And cathedral schools were born and they grew into universities and universities and cathedral schools grew into what was considered a national right. And so we created public schools the Christian invention of education, which was unknown prior to being kind and good to children, which spurred industry, which changed inventiveness, which created the ability for printing presses and scientific endeavor and a renaissance because people were educated. You don't know what that lead of that one simple step of kindness and goodness will go to, but it will go far. And as you keep taking steps, as we keep taking steps, who knows what inventions and good the world will inherit as we follow the lead of the one that we want to be like. You want your life to count? Follow his lead. He will teach you to be kind and good and you strap that to faithfulness. And in time, the world changes. And that's what I pray for us. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I, I, I just thank you that you are the God of goodness, kindness, and that your name is abounding faithfulness. 
that you are good and that you do good and that you dwell in us to use us as your instruments of goodness, of kindness, and that you will make us faithful. God, that you have given us this great joy to know you and your love to flow through us. God, I ask the blessing that these might be present in these people here today and our church and the churches in the United States and the churches of the world, that your name, the kindness, the goodness, your name of faithfulness might be proclaimed in the nations. God, use us, we pray, as you see fit, as we follow you. Shape and change us. For you are indeed the good God who is kind and faithful to us. Thank you. Thank you for your grace. Lead us, we pray, in Jesus' name.